Matthew chapter 6, that's where we're going to be. We're going to continue in this series um, called Grown Up Prayers. And, and our basis for this whole message series was based off the fact that as, when we're kids, we learn prayers. Like we've, we've prayed, now lay me down to sleep. We've prayed, um, God is good. We, and we've prayed all these prayers because this is what we were taught. We memorized them. But as we have moved through life and we've gotten older, unfortunately, our prayer life has not really changed. We still do a lot of things that we did as a kid. And Jesus gives us a lot of practical um, direction on how we need to pray. And he's very specific on it. And so last week we jumped into Matthew chapter 6, and we know this is the Lord's Prayer. But I want to I recap for the next few moments of last week. And you can catch the whole thing online just by going online. You can listen to that. Um, but he says this in Matthew chapter 6. And we'll start with verse 5, actually. So it says, And when you pray... So if Jesus says, when you pray, what do you think the expectation should be? You better pray, right? Because you say, well, what's the point? I don't, I don't feel like he answers some of my prayers. Well, Jesus says, pray if you feel like the prayer is going to be answered. He, he doesn't say that. He doesn't say, if you feel like it, pray. What does he say? When you pray, as a follower of Jesus, prayer is an expectation. How are we supposed to have a relationship with the Father if we can't communicate with the Father and know His language? So He says, and when you pray, you, you must not be. So the disciples came and said, can you teach us? We, we see something in you. We see the way that you pray. Remember, these Jewish men have grown up in a culture of prayer, but it's all repetition. They would go pray the Psalms and memorize all these things and quote the Shema. And they would do all these things, and then they would get to this point in their, their lives and they're looking at Jesus' prayer life and they're looking back on what they've been taught their entire life and they would go, one of these things is not like the other. When Jesus prays, there seems to be an intimacy, there seems to be a power behind what he's doing, but when we pray, we're just going through the motions of what we do. Almost as if we don't, we don't even buy into it because see, the Romans had come in, the Romans had taken control of Israel, and it was really interesting how they did that. Israel felt like all these other countries were bullying them and beating them up, and so they decided to get some help. So they actually invited the Romans to come in and help. So Rome was actually just an, was supposed to be an ally that was going to come help Israel, but when they got there, they realized this is a really nice place. We should just go ahead and take it over. And that is how Israel will fall under this Roman occupation that we see in the book of Matthew. And it didn't take long for that to, to happen. You, you see, when you turn... From the book of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, there's 400 years between Malachi and Matthew. We call that the intertestamental period. Um, it's, the, it's the years they would say that God was silent. And in this 400-year gap between Malachi and Matthew, there are no Romans in the Old Testament. And then all of a sudden, you turn the page to Matthew, and there's an entire civilization of Rome that has taken over. And again, this all goes back because Israel decided they needed help. So rather than putting their trust in God to protect them and to give them what they needed, the Romans came and took over because they decided to pledge their allegiance to Rome. And so they're like, we, we prayed these prayers that we would become an independent state, a country, that people would leave us alone. This would just be us, and we wouldn't be under the rule. And they had fallen under Assyrian rule and Babylonian rule, and the Philistines would punish them. And, and, and Israel just kept going through all these motions of trying to do the right thing, but they'd, just be, they'd keep getting taken over because their relationship with God was not there. So God would say things like, I'm just going to hand you on over to them. And this is what happened. This is how they end up under Babylonian uh, cultures. And so the prayers of the people, they felt like maybe God wasn't hearing them because we're still here under this Roman 
occupation, and they've been waiting on a Messiah, but the, the Messiah has not shown up. And today, the Jewish people are still waiting on the coming Messiah. So this is the mindset of these disciples, and when they hear Jesus praying, they're starting to put some things together. It's like, the, this is different. The, the way that he prays with authority, and the way that we pray because we have to, and it's almost a burden, these things are different. Because see, there's a difference between a growth mindset and a burden mindset. A burden mindset says, I have to do this. I have to do this. And if I don't do this, there's a consequence. But what Jesus was teaching them was a growth mindset of, you get to. Like, we get to talk to the Father. We don't have to go through a priest. We have a high priest. We confess our sin to him. We can speak directly to him. We don't have to go through someone else. And so he, Jesus has given these disciples teaching them, but before he tells them what to do, he tells them what not to do. So he, again, in verse 5, he says, And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to stand. They love to pray in their synagogues. They like to stand on the street corners. And they like to be seen by others. And what happens, Jesus says, is they will get their reward. Their reward will be the applause of man. Can I just tell you, the applause of man will fade. Because eventually the, the people that will applaud you in one moment will be the ones criticizing and chastising you in the next moment. Ask Jesus, because when he entered into Jerusalem on that last week of his life, on Monday they were shouting for joy and worshiping him, and on Friday they were yelling crucify him. The voices quickly turned on him, and, and he says, so they're going to get their reward. Now in verse 6, and again, listen to what Jesus says. But when you, what? Do you think it's an expectation? Teach us how. Jesus, all right, first, first thing you need to learn is when you do it. There's an expectation that you do it. He says, but when you pray, when you pray, he continues and says, my eyes are getting older, but when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your father who is in the secret, and your father who sees you in the secret will reward you. He says, when you pray, expectation, get alone with God privately. Does this mean that I can't pray in my group anymore? No, that's not what that means. Does this mean that I can't, um, I can't pray at my office desk? That's not what that means. What he's saying is you need to be very intentional in your prayer life that you get somewhere where you shut the door and you pray between you and God where there's zero distraction so you can clearly hear from him. Because I can tell you, if you're not putting yourself in a place to, to hear from him, what you're doing is putting yourself in spots to hear the many voices of the enemy. When instead of hearing the many voices, we need to be hearing the one voice, and, and Jesus is warning them on this. Because see, what the disciples haven't picked up on is you've been praying the same things over and over and over again, your, your repetition, and you're upset that God hasn't answered, so the way that you've prayed is not exactly lined up with the, the theology that you have. And Jesus is saying, because of that, the enemy has used you and has ripped away the steal, kill, and destroy method, has been used on you, because he has stolen your voice from, and your desires to pray to the Father. Um, he, he's killed your hopes and dreams that anything's ever going to change. Why well, pray? Because I don't think anything's going to change. Right? So he's killing, stealing, and he's destroying. And, and through theology. Can I just tell you that the enemy knows how to preach you a sermon? He's really good at it. He knows this word. Remember, he was with the Father in heaven at one point. So, so he knows. But he's saying, if you'll get in and you will go into your room and you'll shut the door and you'll pray to your father who's in the secret and your father who sees you in the secret, I love this term because what does it say the father's going to do? It's his promise. What does he say he's going to do? His reward is his presence. 
If nothing else, if God doesn't answer a single prayer that we pray, the presence is the promise that he's, been, that he's given us. And for the disciples, they were standing in the presence of the promise. They were physically, audibly hearing his voice. And they were like, okay, okay, I get it. I'm starting to get it. He says, so that's going to be your reward. The, the hypocrites will get their reward from the applause, but your father's applause will be come with no condition. The fact that you're with him, he loves it, he delights in that. And it says, and when you pray, that's the, how many times is that now? Okay, just making sure. Three times. I want us to make sure when I say, I don't feel like praying. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Don't just babble. That's the Greek word there, just babbling, just throwing up some things, repetitive things. For they think that they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father, and listen, we can't move on unless you get this verse. Okay? Because this, this is a hard transition. So until you get this, I'll just talk about the next part of the verse, but I want to want you to dig into this a little bit more because nothing else makes sense until this happens. Okay? He says, your father knows, okay, we'll break it down really simple. He what? He knows what you, okay, we got it? Does, how does that sit with you? Because there's been some times that we've prayed and we're like, I don't think you know what I need, God. You ever found yourself in that situation where you've bartered with God? Like, I don't think you understand. And I've had those moments where I'm like, I don't think, I don't think you understand how this is going to play out. And God's just going, <laughs> okay, all right, Job, tell me about it. Because remember, Job had the same conversation with God. And then God starts, he's like, okay, I got it, I get it, Job. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Where were you when I created the world? And Job's like, uh-oh. You ever been in those moments? <laughs> it's like you begin to try to put God in his place. And he's like, whoa, time out. Where were you when I created the world? Where were you? Go read through the book of Job and read that whole conversation, that whole message that, that God delivers to Job to open his eyes. The Father knows what we need. You ready for the last part of that? Before you even ask. Wait, you mean to tell me that the creator of the entire universe, he's got a lot of things on his plate cares about me yep he knows every single pain emotion that you are dealing with he is fully aware and 100% invested well I don't feel like it I don't feel like he is let me ask you this question have you met with your father in the secret behind the closed doors right because there's one way to know that I'm going to encounter him. Putting myself in a position to completely hear from him and trust that he knows what I need. He knows what I want, but he also knows what I need. You take any of our kids, they would all love to drive our cars. But would you give your keys to one of the... We're going to just take up your keys. We're going to take them back here to the kids' area. And we're going to hand out your car keys. Everybody have faith and believe this is going to go well. Why would we not give car keys to anybody in the elementary, preschool, or babies area, toddlers? They're not ready for that. 
Like, do they want it? Absolutely. Do they need it? No. Neither does our insurance company. We don't need any of those things. He says the Father knows what you need before you ask. And here was our big takeaway last week. The purpose of prayer is to align our wills with God's. Because when we meet him in the private, we understand that God knows everything that we need. We surrender our will to going, okay, I know what I want. I know what I'd like to happen in this situation. I would like for this to to play out this way. But I've got to surrender that your ways are higher than my ways. And I've got to trust everything that you're telling me in this moment that I'm going to believe that you know better than I do. It is basically resigning as a CEO of your life and giving the throne back to Jesus where he belongs. Okay, and this is what he's saying. Because if you can't understand that, that he provides every need, you can't surrender your will, these next few verses will not make any sense whatsoever. Matthew chapter 6, verse 11, he says, Give us today. Give us today. And if you can surrender your will to him and trust him, and we may not always like the outcome, okay? We may not like the outcome. But if you can trust that, then we can boldly pray the next part. Give us today. There are three, I got three points this morning. You're like, you're a liar. No, I'm not. I got three points, and I promise you this. I'm only going to preach two of the three because the third one's going to take a little bit of time, and we don't want to be here all day. Um, here's the first thing. God wants us to pray in this way. He gives us these things. Provision. He gives us a pardon. And he gives us protection. Okay? Provision. Pardon. And protection. That's what. Those are the three things that we're going to see over the next verse. I'm pretty sure Jesus put all those in order that way too with all the P's so you can remember them. Probably not. So in these next verses, what, what you're going to see is Jesus is requesting them. When you pray, these are the three things that we pray. We pray for provision. We pray for pardon. We pray for protection. All right? We're good? Let's jump on provision. He says, give us today our daily now, we're not focused out on five years from now. He says, give us today. Give us this, this moment. We, um, Ms. Gretchen and I went. She invited me to go pray over a couple here in our church, and, and we were talking. They've been going through some health issues. And one of them said, I wake up every morning, and I remind myself to live in the minute. To live in the minute. Because I don't know what's going to happen at the end of the day. But I'm going to own this moment and live in this minute. When we're praying, give us today our daily bread. What we're asking God is to do is help us understand in this moment that you have provided. In this very minute. He has provided us with breath to breathe. He has given us physical life. He has given us spiritual life life. Give us today. Again, if we don't get anything else, like that breath is more than we deserve. Would you agree with that? Because the Bible says that you and I were once enemies of God. I don't want to be on that side of the fence. But he has given us this breath. Paul says that in him we live, we breathe, and we move. This is what God has given us. And if we, can, if we can grasp that, to give us this day, today, our daily bread. Now, Jesus was doing something here that was interesting. He was 
he was reminding the disciples, because these were very educated men when it came to the scriptures, because they, they knew the Jewish text. So they knew this story, that there was a day when Moses had the people out in the desert, and they were complaining for food. And God tells them he's going to give them manna every day. He would tell the people, you're going to wake up, there's going to be bread on the ground, take what you need for today, and then the rest of it's going to disappear. And then tomorrow when you wake up, what's going to happen? There's going to be bread on the ground, you're going to take what you need for today, and then it's going to go away, and I'm going to keep doing that. And so what he's telling the disciples is, if you remember your ancestors, were walking in the desert and they were starving, they were hungry, and God provided he didn't give them full feast and said, I want you to hoard everything you possibly can. He says, you get just enough for today. What was he doing? I need you to trust me in the moment, in the minute, that I'm going to provide the next step. You may not see it yet. You may not know. But this is where our faith comes in. This is why it says that we walk by faith, not by what? Because they were waking up going, well, hold on now. We've been starving for a long time. And this bread thing, we've never seen this before. It's just gonna eventually going to go away, so we should probably just hoard. But God was teaching his people to have faith that he would provide, that there would be a provision for, for the needs of the people. And the disciples are getting this. They understand the provision. They, they, they see the provision. See, we live in a culture of excess, and we begin to take things for granted because we didn't get this or we didn't get that. And Again, we have to stop and remember the things that we do have that God has provided us with and not just material possessions but let's just go back to this one thing God and his wisdom and his grace and his mercy has given us his presence we don't need anything outside of anything outside of his presence is a byproduct of his goodness you, you follow me and this is why we surrender our will to that of going you paid a price so that our relationship could be restored and I could have relationship that you would make me righteous to be in right standing with you everything else is a byproduct this is why there's a difference between happiness and joy I don't want you to be happy happiness comes and it goes watch the beginning of this football season I will be happy for the first two games when we play nobody. And then the Gamecocks, the schedule is going to get hard. And then I'm going to be debating if I should switch over to orange or not. It happens every year. And I know some of you have been praying for that. And you're like, God, I have prayed and asked that my pastor be a Clemson fan. But see, God doesn't answer bad prayers. He wants me to learn perseverance and suffering. Lord, please help us. But there's a provision. We live in this culture, of ex, uh, this culture of excess. And we have to remind ourselves that God is the provider. So Jesus says, when you pray, pause and declare your dependence on him. Pause and declare that dependence. Thank you. Thank you. Because here's what happened with the Israelites. There was one day that they got up and they're like, bread again? Can we not have anything else like bread? Like every time I turn around, bread, bread, bread. Do you remember... The, the thing that they were praying for that they just needed food because they were starving you got to be careful that sometimes the blessings that you ask God for that you don't find yourselves complaining about the blessing that you ask God for because he gives he takes away he will give and he will take away so there's a provision we got to declare our dependency look at this verse in Proverbs chapter 30 I love this verse <clears throat> it says this 
Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty, of course. We all like that part, right? God, don't make me poor. But listen to this. Don't give me neither poverty nor riches. I don't want to be poor, and I don't want to be super rich. Just give me only my daily bread. And here's why he says this. He says, otherwise, I may have too much. I may have ex excess, and I'll begin to take for granted what I have, because he says, otherwise, I may have too much, and I will disown you, and I will say, well, who's the Lord? Look what I've done. I've got degrees, I went and did this, I got this nice job, I went and bought this, I have this big house, I've got this big boat, I've got whatever, you fill in the blank of the things that I have. Look what I've done, look at this kingdom that I have built for myself. And the writer here, the proverb says, if I do this, I'm scared that I'll disown, or I may become poor and I'll begin to steal in order, and when I steal, I will dishonor the name of my God. I don't want to be rich, I don't want to be poor, I want to be satisfied in the Father, is what he says. So he picks up, Jesus is picking up on this language when he's saying, now, what would that look like for your life if you got up every morning and you prayed this prayer, God, today give me neither poverty or riches. Just give me my daily bread. Just enough for today, just enough for the moment. Remember in, in Psalm 23, it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not roam, but he leads me into green pastures, and I told you that, those green pastures weren't like fields of green everywhere. It was just a little patches of little pieces of grass that would grow between the rocks. It was just enough to sustain the sheep in the moment. See, God's just given us enough that we need in a moment to keep our faith up, to keep us moving forward and trusting him. So there's a provision. Living minute to minute. Trusting God in the minute. Here's a second. Pardon. The pardon. This is a part of the prayer that I think we've all prayed, and this is part of the prayer that we struggle with, right? But he says this in verse 12. Forgive us of our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. I don't like that verse. Do you? I mean, maybe towards certain people it would work, but there's certain things I'm like, uh, I don't know if I, like, I, yeah, I like the part about forgive me, forgive my debt, but don't worry about them because, they're God, I don't think you understand. I don't think you understand how bad they are. I don't think you understand what they said. Now, this is us talking to an all-knowing, all-present God. I don't think you know what they said. I don't think you know what they did. But let me just elaborate, God, on what they've done. And so I, what I'm asking is when I pray, I'm just saying, God, forgive me. But I don't care about them. They could get hit by a bus for all I care. Like, I don't care. Like, you, do, you do with them what you do with them. You pray Numbers chapter 11 of Moses of saying, God, I just pray. That you kill them, kill me. These are the options that I'm giving you, God. You, you've had those people in your life that that's the way you prayed, honestly. You may not say that I, I prayed that, but I may have said that out loud in the car ride. But he, he says this, that we forgive us, God. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This is a request with a catch. Jesus is saying, pray that your sins be forgiven, that your trespasses and your debts be forgiven. But at the same time, you pray for others, too, to be forgiven. Because you can't ask for what you're not willing to give. Because remember, Jesus started this thing when he said in verse 6, or in verse 5, do not be like the what? So being a hypocrite would be you going, forgive me, not them. And he's digging on this forgiveness because here's the thing. 
when Jesus is having this conversation of saying, forgive me in the same degree that I've forgiven the people who've wronged me. Let that weigh in for just a second. Forgive me, God, the same, to the same degree that I've forgiven people in my life. What is that? How much has God forgiven you if I ask you that question in that way? That, that's weighty, isn't it? Like, he says the assumption here is that you would surrender. If somebody has wronged you, the assumption is you would just part of surrendering that to me. You surrender every second by me providing your daily bread. I also need you to surrender that hatred, that bitterness, that anger. I need you to, to trust me in this. That I will give you forgiveness when you forgive. And it's a reminder that we're, we're, we are living under grace and under mercy. So are we asking something from God that we're not willing to extend to other people? You can write that question down. That's a good one. Am I, am I asking God to extend something to me that I am not extending to other people? Am I being a hypocrite in this moment of saying this, of asking God? Because I think sometimes we use forgiveness as a conscience cleaner. I'll ask forgiveness just so we can move on and I'll feel better about myself. But he's saying, I'm not asking you to ask forgiveness so you can move on and feel better about yourself. I'm asking that you ask forgiveness because what it does is points you back to the cross to realize the ultimate forgiveness that was paid for you and to search your heart if you're giving that to other people. So Jesus ends this lesson on prayer with that statement. He's talking about forgiveness, and he says this in verse 14. And this is Jesus saying this, so don't get mad at me when I read it. For if you forgive others of their trespasses, your heavenly Father will... What will your heavenly Father do if you forgive other people? He'll, he'll forgive you. Listen, but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I'm going to let that one sit for just a second. Are you saying that God... What I'm saying is, if you forgive others of their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Because he doesn't like hypocrisy. And he said that in verse 5. And so he'll go on to say, even in verse 16, he'll say, and when you fast, don't do it like hypocrites. He'll, he'll use this term hypocrite over and over again. What he's trying to do is when you're in the secret place with the Father in your prayer, it strips away all that hypocrisy because it's just you and him. You can be very open to him. We have a hard time around groups of people of being honest with each other, right? Oh, be, be, we, want to, we don't want to be transparent. We don't want to always be authentic. But when we're with the Father, we, we can open up and we can be, we can be honest. So we, we pray this forgiveness. In Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, the Father says, <laughs> excuse me, the, the Paul reminds us that, that we, we don't forgive to be forgiven, but we forgive because we have been forgiven. And when I'm in that place with the Father, I remember that, memorize that. That I'm here with him because of this. Look what he says in Ephesians 4. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. You following me? Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. So is, are, are you asking God 
to forgive you in the same degree that you're forgiving other people? Is it hypocrisy? So he says, when I focus on the work that God has yet to complete in me, I have to be far less concerned about other people. Because when we're spending time with the Father, we're less judgmental about other people. We're spending time with him, we realize that there's a lot of work in me too. There's a lot of issue in me too. I don't have time to judge and worry about somebody else. Like, God's going to have to fix that. I can't fix this with them. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus gives a little bit more direct in this. He says, um, you'll probably know this verse. But Jesus says, you hypocrite. He likes that word, by the way. In the Greek, hypocrite means hypocrite. Um, He says, you hypocrite, first take the fog out of your own eye, and then you will clearly see to take the speck out of your brother's eye. You will clearly see to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So remove the lot. Think about how, like, comedy this is. You want to judge somebody, but you can't clearly see them because there's a massive log in your eye, and you're trying to point out the little speck of sawdust that's in theirs. Would you let somebody do eye surgery on you that had, like, blackout glasses and they couldn't see anything? You going to let them touch your eyes? Like I see they're doing eye surgery with robots and stuff now, and that ain't, uh, I don't think so. He says that, you, you've got to be very careful of what you're calling out in people. Because if you're spending time with the Father and you're trusting God to give you what your daily needs are, your daily bread, it's not just material. He's also given you the emotions to be able to deal with whatever comes your way. Because it's going to make you more dependent on who. See, the more that we understand that God gives and we can trust and he gives enough for right now, our dependency on him increases. And our relationship strengthens. And then what do you think happens when our dependency and our relationship with God strengthens? What do you think happens to the relationships that are around us? There begins to be an overflow of what God is doing on other people's lives because of our time. I would say it this way, that your personal time, your secret time, in your, your personal prayer time, your, your Bible time, that moment is for you, but it also can have an eternal impact on the people outside of that room of what you and God talk about so he says forgive because when I see myself as I am I'm better positioned to love despite the differences and this is what Jesus prayer leaves us with he leaves us with this is that we need to be surrounded by his presence we need to be dependent on him and we need to be in a place of forgiveness we can't get this out of order because it's our time with him that will lead to dependence. And when we understand our dependence on him, we realize how much we really need and we give a lot more grace and mercy and forgiveness to the people that are on the outside. So we gotta find a place, choose a time, get alone and pray surrendered prayers to God. Here's the last thing. Protection. He says pray for protection. He says this in verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from what? You can't recognize evil if you're not in the presence of goodness and in the presence of the Father. You don't believe me? Look at our culture. Look at our church culture. There's not a whole lot of difference between the church and the world. We're clinging to the same things. We've jeopardized and compromised things. 
Generosity. Compromise. Because now, right now, it's every man for himself. We're in a recession. We're, just, we're not going to give like we used to give because we're in a recession. But second opinions doesn't say that we should just give to where we're comfortable. God says he's given us a standard. Serving. Being a part of the church, not isolated. These are things that he's, that he's pulling us to because the enemy's trying to get you out of your circle. It goes all the way back to the Discovery Channel. You, you watch the, the gazelles or whatever, like trotting through the, the whatever it is, the fields. And the one decides, I won't be in your group, but I also want to get my own water. And he decides to go get his own water by himself. What happens? Well, that one becomes the main headline of the story of what's about to go down. Because the cheetahs are like, mm, look at this. Let's get it. And that poor gazelle gets caught because he got isolated because he knew better. We can get so caught up in the temptations that we can, it's almost like we're asleep and we're not recognizing that God is even at work because a praying church is a, di- a non-praying church is a dying church because you haven't been with the Father. So how, how are you supposed to know what's evil and what's right and what's wrong? You got, you got to be tethered to the word and tethered to him if you want to make it through today. But it all starts with surrender. We'll talk more about temptation when we pick this story back up. But today, I just want to challenge you with this. I want you every day to pray Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 through 9. God, give me neither riches nor poverty. Give me my daily bread. And then tell him today, thank you. Thank you for the blessing. Thank you. If you're like, I don't know what to tell God, thank you for. You are breathing and you are here. Because the enemy would have liked to have not had you here this morning. He won a lot of battles this morning with people. But you are here and you are breathing. And you have people in this room that love you. We can start there. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the day. I pray in these next few moments as we respond to your word. That we recognize that you indeed... Give us what we need when we need it. We trust, we trust you. We, we just ask that we would find contentment in your daily bread. I just pray for surrender of our hearts and our souls that we would just not try to impose our will on yours, but God, it is your will. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray these things in your